All right, we are on to Psalm 127. I feel like we're closing in. We're getting close. We're closing in on a long-awaited thing. I have absolutely loved the Psalms of Ascent. I may preach them again one day just because I love them so much. Um, But this Psalm 127 was actually, if you look in your Bibles, it says a song of ascent of Solomon. So this song, this song was written by Solomon. And King David, so a little bit of history here. King David wanted to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant that Israel had. So this Ark that they covered around that represented the presence of God, um, it had been living in tents. And David said, God, I want to build a place, a palace for that and not only have it be in a tent. And, but God wouldn't let David for a number of reasons, but mainly because his hands were too bloody. He'd killed too many people and he had, uh, and, and God said, I want the person to build this to be a man of peace. And David was not that. In fact, they sung songs about him killing tens of thousands of people. So he had a lot of blood on his hands and God wouldn't let him. But God also promised that his son would be able to build the ark. So David actually started saving up gold, saving up wealth, saving up timber, saving up all this stuff so that one day his son would be able to build this temple. And so it was Solomon who built the original temple in Jerusalem. And this prayer is tied directly to the finish, the completion uh, of that temple. And this is the, and again, the temple is the place where God's glory was supposed to dwell. Like God, um, it, the, the cloud would meet there when they were in the desert. And whether it be a cloud of, uh, of uh, like a, just a cloud during the day and a cloud of fire by night. But Sa- Solomon uh, gathered up massive amounts of wealth. Like, uh, one time I did the calculation of how much gold he actually compiled and looked at the gold standards, and he was a pretty wealthy dude. The temple was completely gold-plated, not completely, but it had gold plate everywhere. And um, it was pretty amazing, and the, the work on it was immaculate. The work would have, that would have been done on this temple was amazing. It would have had fine linens sewed by the finest of their craft. Solomon gathered the best wood from the best areas, the best workers to work the wood, the best masonites, and the best like stone to build this thing. He had the best goldsmiths for this project, and so on and so on. The best people were working on it so that this place could be amazing. He, it was people who had an uh, inordinate amount of skill. So it was just not any carpenter. It was the best of the best that was building the temples. And he would have also had a huge amount, conscripted a huge amount of uh, laborers for this project that didn't have skill, but they could still move stuff. Like a lot of people helped in the work of building the temple. And not every worker had skill, but the, the main ones that played a part in the building were extremely skilled. And at the inauguration of the temple, it was it's said, historically, we started on time today, Jake, and we even made a joke about Jake's going to not show up, and we're going to say, we started on time today. <laughs> um, at the inauguration of the temple of Solomon, he probably would have wrote this prayer, and uh, the one that we are about to pray, but 
In Israel's history, if you look at it, if you just read the Old Testament, they disobeyed God a lot. They, they had like seasons where they were devoted to God, but most of the time they were walking away. And they walked away from him and worshipped other gods. And even King Solomon, after building this amazing house for God, and the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that brought them out of Egypt, he built other gods' temples as well. He built idol uh, temples for other wor uh, worship of other idols and there so even Solomon so there's this long lineage of God doing great things for his people amazing things and then his people walked away to worship other gods this was so bad that God actually punished his people as I would argue that a good father does a good father punishes his children and he sent them into exile and the temple was destroyed and pilfered and the gold was taken and some of the objects were taken off into foreign lands and they were taken off into Babylon and Assyria and you can read in Ezra and Nehemiah that after that a period of time they were they were brought back to restore the temple and in Ezra and Nehemiah, you can see that there's a huge list of people's names that helped rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And upon the completion of the newly renovated temple, they would have found this prayer, this Psalm 127. They would have found this prayer and they would have prayed it on the steps that they just got done fixing it up. It's actually pretty significant that they would have prayed this, they would have found this and gone, oh, here's our heritage. We get to do this. And each time, they would have prayed it in the temple, and they would have prayed it in the presence of God. And so, let us pray this together. You guys will read the bold, and I will read the rest. So if you can stand with me, we will, we will go ahead and read it. A Song of Ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious soil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The books of the Bible that Solomon wrote are, who can say, who can, this is Bible quiz time. We're going to feel super Baptist today. Which books did Solomon write? Yes, okay, so Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, the Song of, yeah, the song of Songs. And in Ecclesiastes is a, refrain of the, uh, is a refrain that keeps repeating over and over that life is meaningless and vanity. That all that we do is a striving after the wind. Even life itself is but a puff of smoke, a vapor in light of eternity. But what you do, even if you do it in perfection and in the skill and wisdom and unto the Lord, 
one day, one day, the work that you do, one day, the hands of another who might not have your skill or wisdom or know your motivation for doing things will, will uh, come in and there's nothing you can do about it. They'll just take it over. And in this same Ecclesiastes, it says this. It says, it talks about work quite a bit. And it says in 3.14, it says, I know that everything God does remains forever. And yet over and over, it has that refrain that everything humans do is vanity and but dust. And so work and whom the glory should be given to is one of the main themes in Solomon's writings. And I might add that Solomon was said to be the wisest man ever. And people came far and wide just to listen to Solomon speak. He was actually so wealthy beyond imagination. And he had everything the heart could desire in excess. Everything the heart could desire in excess. He didn't lack in any human experience either. So if people were doing it and people were raving about it, he probably experienced it. And I'm pretty sure that most of the stories that Solomon uh, could tell should not be retold in the, in the ears of children because he just had so many crazy things happen. And if you don't know why, you can go back and read those books that I mentioned and read First uh, and Second Kings and Chronicles and all that good stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty, he's a pretty interesting guy. And here, though, we get to talk about work, right? I was thinking about all of us when, like, some are engineers, and they do that unto the glory of God. Some of us are customer service. Some are mechanical, uh, or, or mechanical, medical professionals. Some are construction workers or maintenance. Some are homeschool moms and PTA leaders. And some are real estate agents. And some of us have been in our job for years and years and years, steadfast in this job. And others of us haven't been in it for as long. And wherever we are and whatever we get to do, we get to do all of that in our work for the glory of God and the good of people. I, I think of it this way. Uh, one of the great omissions that I've had from the thrill of hope during this time is the work that we get to do that's every day, that's normal, that we go to, sit at our desks or whatever you do, and just get down and do it. And here we get to talk about that work. We get to talk about it. We get to use all our work, all of it, to worship Jesus. We get to do what we do as unto Jesus and leave all the results up to him. We need God in and through our work, our everyday life and being. Church and Sunday, is, and Sunday worship is not just here. It's not like we go in and we check our box, our God box, and then we leave Jesus at church and go home. We don't just pay homage to God on Sundays, amen, like, and then forget about Him the rest of the week. We get to live in light of Jesus' ongoing and constant work in our lives, and even in the fact that he is using our work, the thing that we spend a lot of time at, he is using our work to allow us to look more like him. To allow us to look more like him. Um, I don't know percentages, but we spend a large percentage of our time at work, right? A large percent of our time doing the work that God has for us. And not all the good works that God has for us are just like soup kitchens or, or like Casino Road Kids Ministry or directly related to the poor. Some of our good works are just at our job, in our everyday 
day in and day out, answering emails, speaking to people on the phone. We get to serve at our jobs as if we're serving Jesus. Even if they're paying us, that's just a reward. That reward, that gift, is a gift from Jesus for just being faithful to him and what he's got for us. It's a gift from him, not just your earned thing. And as we are serving Jesus, we get to see that God is not absent from or distant from our work in the day-to-day. He can still lead us and guide us in our everyday jobs. We can pay attention and focus, and God may say, not right now, I want you to do this. And then we get to be obedient to God even in work. And even though we are about to get into this this first saying, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, and, and the vanity of working without God, this never diminishes that we have work to do and that we get to do it. We should strive for skill and expertise in what we do. And the, the vanity of it doesn't make a difference. We do all as if we're striving, as if we're doing work to God. And in fact, I think that the book of Ezra and Nehemiah in particular, they're filled with names, just row upon row of names. And that's giving dignity to just the everyday workers that were just simply doing their task. And we get to know that we get to work in a way that glorifies God and the work that He is doing in and through our life in Jesus. And so we get to work in this way. But Solomon built this temple, right? It was a huge accomplishment. It was a huge accomplishment. But even after this huge accomplishment, instead of saying, look what I did, nailed it, like check out this cool house that I built for God, he... But he prays something like, God, I built this, but if you don't show up, so what? If you don't show up in this, so what? And we're the same way. We need Jesus to be present. We need him to show up. And without him, it doesn't matter what we're doing. If without him, it's so what? One commentator said that the fact that this is stressed three times in the beginning of this psalm. It says it emphasizes the senselessness of all the painstaking endeavors undertaken without Yahweh. And so we get to do it with Him. And this means we get to do our work empowered by the Holy Spirit. We do it as worship to the best of our ability and we seek to grow those abilities over time. We work from an obedience to God and, and, and as well in that, we just trust God with the outcomes. We get to learn. And I think this is important. And, and I don't know how many times I heard this growing up in church. Maybe a few, maybe none. I don't know. But we get to learn to pay attention to the work of Jesus in and through our lives every day, especially while we're at our desk where we spend most of the time. We get to pay attention to what God is doing through Christ in our work. Whether we are building an airplane or homeschooling our children, God is at work. And it is His work that we get to pay attention to in our lives. And this, this, what you do in the day-to-day is holy work. It's holy work. It's working as unto the Lord. Being... uh, Being in ministry or a pastor or at a church isn't the only way to do holy work, amen? Like it can't be. Well, (laughs) 
I happen to be your pastor. So it can't be, right? Like that's not the only way to work. And, you know, I'll say this too, because this is something I'm very, very passionate about. Engaging in social justice endeavors is not the only way to do the Lord's work. Work and its toil at whatever God, job God has for you is there so that God has that to shape you and I more and more into his image so that we can trust him there as well as here. And if we leave God out of our work, and then when our work goes wrong, or when we leave God out of our work, it's then that our work goes wrong. Even, I would say even, maybe even especially if work is going well in the normal sense, but if we leave God out of it, it's not going well. When we lose touch with God in our everyday work, then we start to lose sight of the importance of Jesus in the everyday. And I'll say it again, Jesus is not just a Sunday thing. Jesus is, the lived in the, Jesus is lived in the everyday at home and work, on the road, and our coming in and going out. Jesus is lived through our lives. It says our lives are hidden in Christ, and so we get to be there. So if we want to be successful at work, then we get to let Yahweh into our work. Because at the end of the day, that's far, more, that's far more what success in walking with Jesus is about. Our work gets to be God's work. We work is unto Jesus. All our efforts are feeble if we don't allow Jesus to work in and through us. This work, though, I think especially uh, related to this psalm and in Scripture, this work can also speak to the work of salvation in our lives. It's feeble to think that we can save ourselves from Satan, sin, and death. It's absolutely feeble that we can work our way out of the sin that we've accumulated. By the way, the wages of sin is death, and we've all sinned a lot. And there's nothing we can do except to rely on Christ. We can't get rid of our sins through our, so, our own efforts. We can't serve our way. We can't worship our way. We can't get close to God on our own. We can't figure out our life in Christ through our own efforts and merits. We can do and do and do, and we can try to earn our way, but unless our salvation is in Jesus, it's all in vain. It's all in vain. Jesus is our one and only. We cannot build the house of salvation without him. If we do, we build in vain. If it is not Jesus who watches over our life, all our diligence is for naught. We need our eyes and our we need his eyes and our ears and our life. That's why we keep saying over and over, he's our food, he's our sustenance, he's our rest, he's our everything. Forgiveness from sin only comes through Jesus and all other ways is complete vanity and foolishness. All our righteousness comes from Jesus and all other ways is foolishness and vanity. Jesus died so that we might have life, but if we try to find life in any other way, we're missing the real life that can only be found in and through Jesus Christ, His death his burial, his resurrection, have done more for our lives than we'll ever realize. And so let us build and work 
and watch and rest and eat all of these things in His name. Let all that we be done, do be done, not done in meaningless toil, but allow it into our life to mean something in the light of Christ. Salvation is Jesus being born again. New birth, right? The death that comes from a new life in Christ. Meaning, we get to follow Him. We get to serve Him. We get to work for Him. We get to worship Him. And we leave all the other outcomes out to Him. We just do. They're His. Even if it is our, even if this is our, our heritage in God, He is the most blessed with the largest quiverful. Right? We get to look here, the fruit of the reward. Our new life in Christ is a gift from Him. In fact, growing up, a child, growing a child is a perfect picture for God's work. So I love that one and two, and, and then verse three, it gets into uh, an arrow. Uh, uh, Behold, the children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. I've always seen this is like, I've heard this used as like, so you should have a ton of kids. Like people with 10 or more kids have always used this verse as justification for their their life. And maybe that's true. I don't know. I mean, I love my three kids. I'm blessed by each one of them. If I had more, I'm sure I'd be even more blessed in that way. So I'm not, I'm not going to take that away. But I love that it's here. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it and labor, those who build it labor in vain. We, what we do to grow a child is not much, Right? We put in the work and do our due diligence, but it is God who knits together the children in the womb. If we were a man, we didn't do much to grow a child, right? Not much at all. Uh, We are needed, but the reality of growing a child in the womb has nothing to do with us. It's very humbling. Even if we make late night runs for ice cream, which I think when Mo was pregnant with Josiah, she loved ice cream, which was a benefit. Because she would want like a cone and I'd just want a blizzard. So it was perfect. A cone? Yeah, it worked, out, it worked out well. But even if we make those late night runs, we can't help in the growing process of our child. We just can't. This is a perfect picture for if we work without God, the work is in vain. God is the one at work. Even if we play our part, God is still the one providing the outcome. And I would say this, even for a mom. She has much more to do with helping the baby along. But she can't will the baby's limbs and chromosomes together. That's not how it works. It's just not how it works. She is a carrier. And for some women, this is more difficult than others. But even with them, it is evident that it is God that grows the child. And without him, the child will not grow. We need God's work in our life. Yahweh continuously takes personal part in the life of human beings. More than that, He alone is God who creates and preserves life. Human beings live exclusively because of Yahweh's intervening protection and His giving. It's a beautiful thing. God is doing more than we know through Christ in our life. And again, the main message of this prayer, I would hope, is clear. If it's not God doing the work, then it's all for naught. And this is true. 
for every area and segment of our life. And we get to acknowledge this. We get to humble ourselves and acknowledge this. I don't know. How many uh, men that have children were there when your kids were born? Super humbling, right? Like on a myriad of levels, it was just humbling like, I can, I remember when Hadassah was born, that was my first, but I was like, I can do nothing. I was like petting Moe's arm saying, you're a trooper, you're a trooper. Because I just felt so like I could do nothing, I could control nothing, and it was just so out of my hands and up to God doing his thing. And about, I think there was like, God used a thousand nurses and maybe four or five doctors when Hadassah was born because she was born early. But like, it was just an interesting thing and, and very humbling. And we get to acknowledge, and it reminds me that we get to acknowledge that God is the one who gives life. God is the one who builds and God is the one who gives the gifts and we praise him for both. Amen. That is what the two halves of this prayer mean. Salvation in the spiritual sense are because of Jesus and yet even the gift of a child is a gift from Jesus as well. And we get to praise him for him. We get to recognize this in every part of our life. Those whom Yahweh loves are those who fear him. He loves that when we fear him. They are human beings whom Yahweh's power and grace are a reality. This is who we get to be. A reality which determines and supports the whole of life. Yahweh is our foundation for our portion and our gifts. So this is my prayer for us this week. Because it doesn't matter what we do unless we allow God to lead us and guide us through it. We're doing it in vain. The things that will last forever are the things that God does. And I think like Solomon's prayer here is like, Lord, if you're not in this house, then it's just going to all go away and everybody did this in vain. He doesn't want it to be in vain. He wants it to live forever. So I pray that we may let Jesus build our life. That we may let Jesus build our life. As we learn to follow Jesus, let it be His grace and His power that determine our realities and support our whole lives. So Jesus, we ask that what we do not be in vain. That you will build. That you will watch over. That you will raise up early. That you will give us rest. That you will give us sustenance, Lord. That you will give us gifts like like children. And so, Lord, I pray that we may attribute all to you. That we may do all as unto you. And Lord, that you will speak in us and through us in all the minutiae of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.